Welcome to Athletes on Balance, where we talk to athletes, coaches, and experts about mental health and sports. This is a stigma-free zone for inner thoughts and outer conversations. We're helping athletes and anyone with mental health challenges perform at their best on and off the field. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Athletes on Balance. I'm your host, Walt Norley, founder and CEO of On Balance Health. Today, I'm joined by Kaylin Bracken, a college lacrosse player, and more importantly, a mental health advocate and spokesperson. Kaylin plays attack at Vanderbilt University and is about to enter her senior year. She has made the American Athletic Conference academic honor roll multiple times before Vanderbilt. Kaylin attended Ridgewood High School. I know people from there, by the way, where she helped her team, not your year, to a state championship in 2018 and earned several lacrosse honors, including being named to the 2018-19 Under Armour All-American Highlight Team. Wow, impressive. During her freshman season at Vanderbilt, Kaylin made the courageous decision to step away from the Commodores and leave campus to focus on her mental health. She eventually returned to the sport she loves and to the team she loves, and what came next was even more impactful than anything she's ever done on the field. Kaylin wrote a letter to college sports. It was a heartfelt, emotional piece in which she issued a demand to everyone in college sports to improve care for mental health of student-athletes. Kaylin's powerful letter is a reminder that many athletes still struggle in silence. We must do everything we can to help them. I've mentioned this before. Mental health is important to me and personal, as I have managed a bipolar disorder throughout my four-decade business career. And looking back, perhaps even in my playing days as a quarterback at Ohio State and Georgia. Kaylin, thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me. That was the kindest, most flattering introduction. It was my favorite one I've heard. <laughs> I loved that you said most important, more importantly than a lacrosse player, a no. mental health advocate. That means more to me than I could possibly put into words. So no, thank I, you. Thank you for we're, having we're me. Gonna, we're going to talk more about it, but you know, I think what you've done on that front, obviously, will be uh, ultimately, you know, more of a legacy. During your freshman year at Vanderbilt, uh, when you were playing lacrosse, you decided to step away uh, from the game and leave campus to focus on your your mental health. Can you tell us what led to that decision? Yeah, so I actually left campus once and I stepped away from lacrosse twice, once knowing that I planned to come back and then the second time very much convinced that it was the end of my lacrosse career. So I got to college during the fall of 2020, which for anyone who began college during the height of the coronavirus pandemic, it was a very isolating environment, especially Vanderbilt is a medical campus. So there was a lot of precautions and extra precautions, rightfully so. But I got on campus in August of 2020 and I was struggling with an eating disorder and I was struggling with depression. And basically a month into school, I had gotten the coronavirus. I had been quarantined for two weeks with a teammate. And during that time, our coaches gave us the option because of COVID that if we wanted to quote unquote opt out of either the fall season, the spring season, or the whole year of lacrosse, that our scholarships would still be intact and they would be protected. And as soon as I heard that option in probably September of 2020, I was like, oh, I need that. So I was acutely aware of the fact that going home would be something that would be beneficial for me. And even my parents were like, are you sure you don't want to just wait it out and see if it's an adjustment period? And I think one of 
my advantage is just being, I guess, a, a mature, reflective human being has been that I know myself well enough to know whether I needed to stay or whether I needed to go home. And I knew what was best for me, which is amazing because I don't think everyone can say that. And oftentimes it's like your parents know what's best. I trusted myself on that. And I went home for like a month and a half and I just started therapy and I was working actually as a personal trainer, which was a job that was not for me, but it was fun to learn that it wasn't for me. Mm. And then I got back to campus at the end of the fall and I was like, I'm ready. Okay. Like I thought that I had really overcome all the hurdles I was going to endure, which was perhaps naive. But then I came back to lacrosse. I re-opted onto the team. My coaches were excited. I was excited. And I still was struggling with how much I wanted to identify with my lacrosse identity, because it kind of felt like if you were going to be a college athlete, you had to take on that identity wholly and completely. And I wasn't ready to do that because I do have so many other interests and I feel like there's so much more depth there as there is for every college athlete. It's not like I'm special in that regard. And so I came back and the spring season started in January. And that was when I realized like, okay, well, this actually isn't totally going away. Like I was in recovery for my eating disorder and I was still in therapy. And those things in and of themselves were like full-time jobs, the amount of energetic and emotional time I had to commit to those things was pretty dramatic and intense. And then I also had lacrosse, my first college lacrosse season, and we started playing really quickly and I was getting some playing time, which was really exciting, but I felt like compounded the pressure I was feeling to like come back and kind of like quote unquote prove myself especially as a freshman playing in a college scheme where there's the game is faster people are bigger people are stronger and it's just like hard to kind of get into as a freshman um and so partially through the year I'd only played in a few games and I went to my coaches and I was like hey guys obviously you guys know I've been struggling with my mental health this year and I think what's best for me and my relationship with lacrosse would be for me to redshirt and take a mental health redshirt so that I didn't have to worry about the pressure of getting on the field. And I could just enjoy practice. I could feel like I'm getting better, um, but not have to worry about actually starting. I mean, that wasn't really a conversation at all, but as a freshman, you're kind of like, well, if they want me to be out there, um, what more do I need to do? And I wanted to actually just take that option away from myself completely and be able to really be present and enjoy it. And so I redshirted for most of my freshman season and my coaches were really supportive of that. They wanted me to fall in love with lacrosse again. They wanted me to find the same kind of passion for it that I had had when they recruited me. And I wasn't having the greatest time redshirting. It was fine. Like it wasn't anything really to write home about. It was still COVID and we were still playing, um, an abbreviated schedule playing the same teams twice in a weekend, which was already stressful. And so you were, this, you were was, practicing though. Yeah. So when you redshirt, you still are in practice every day. Um, so I was still practicing and still like going to every team event. It was really just like only at game time, I would like warm up and then I wouldn't play. And at the end of my freshman year in April, I sustained a concussion during practice one day. And that to me was like this symbol of I'd already been struggling. And I remember just like crying to my dad, who was also a college lacrosse player during his day. And he had stepped away and then went back. And so 
I remember crying to my dad and being like, I just don't think I want to do this anymore. I don't think it's serving me. And then later that week, I ended up getting a concussion. And that to me was this symbol of this is hurting your mind more than you really realize it is, um, more than you're giving it credit for. And so after getting that concussion, which was, I've had five concussions, that was my fourth, and it was the worst by far that I've had. And so I was out of commission for a few weeks. I didn't go to the playoffs with my team. And at that point, I went to my coaches and I was like, I really need to step away. I don't think I want to finish the season. And they were supportive. They've always been really accommodating and understanding with me, especially I think because I've been so forthcoming. And basically, I went to my coaches and I was like, I'm just going to go home. I don't need to finish the season with you guys. And they were like, totally understand you're concussed and also seem to be struggling with your relationship with lacrosse. So I went home. My team went to the playoffs. And uh, it after a few weeks of like really deliberating on this question of will I continue playing lacrosse or not, there were moments where I was so ready to just cut the cord and be like, this is the end of my lacrosse career. And then I had to talk through some really realistic things with my parents. Like, well, what are you going to learn being a college athlete that will help you later in your career? What does this look like financially if you make a decision that you don't have the athletic support anymore? And it doesn't sound as heroic when you talk about it that way and it wasn't it was not by any means like a brave decision that I was making it was ultimately it was a decision that I realized I was making out of fear which is why I ended up continuing to play lacrosse was because it presented me this challenge that I knew if I overcame that challenge I would be a better person because of it and I knew that the challenges that being a collegiate athlete presented to me were worth the stress that I felt like I had to overcome or I had to learn to be comfortable with or work with. Um, But when I tell that story, it's really important to me that I acknowledge that for some people quitting in that instance could be the greatest thing that they could possibly do for themselves. For me, I knew that I would have been quitting out of fear. I want to, I want to go back to um, your letter. um, uh, If you don't mind. So at one point in the, in the letter you write, uh, the more we resist the idea that we're allowed to stop or to walk away or to take a day off or to admit to someone that we're struggling, the more we begin to feel trapped. The more we feel backed up against the wall with no other options than to take the worst way out. And we all know what that worst way out is. Um, why do you think this, this culture... Uh, has persisted for so long in sports? I think so long as it is celebrated and commercialized, it'll persist. And that's not to say anything bad about the brands that have marketed this mindset of don't stop, you know, like rub some dirt on it, those things, and never take like no days off. Even these kind of like little mechanisms just linguistically where we're making people who are young athletes you know there's like six-year-olds buying little shirts that say no days off and you internalize this mindset where to take a day off or to tell someone you're struggling or to show any sort of quote-unquote weakness becomes problematic to your career as an athlete you know look you're going to get out of school and you're going to see this in the next world you know in my world I'm in technology and um, if you if you want to be very good at something like sports that you know the, com- the competitive high achievement mentality 
the discipline, the organizational skills, you know, the work ethic, all the things that you have, right, as a student athlete to be successful, they translate, you know, into the next part of life. And if you want to be a very, if you want to be a great teacher, and if you want to be a great uh, mentor to somebody from a business perspective, you want to be, you know, build a great technology companies, whatever your ambitions might be, yeah, you're right. They all come with a sacrifice. And now, you know, because we're all more educated than they, we were 10, 20, 30 years ago, um, what's the cost of that sacrifice? And can you have balance? Can you balance it at the collegiate athletic stage? And can you balance it at the professional athletic stage? Can you balance it later in life? And, you know, what is that sacrifice? I, I do think, Kaylin, I'd like to hear your perspective on this. I speak about this. I do think part of mental health is mental strength. I've heard Michael Phelps talk about it. He, of course, there are many times he didn't want to get out of bed and jump in a pool, you know, at 4.35 o'clock in the morning, right? There does come, that's that next trigger, you know, of the mental strength. Um, and, you know, where's that line, right? You know, if you want to make a, a parallel between uh, the stigma and what, which keeps people from, getting out and getting care earlier because of the stigma and become, you know, becoming judged. Well, let's go to the knee. Let's go to the ankle. Let's go to the shoulder, right? Where's the line where, where your ankle's bothering you, your knee's bothering you, um, and you kind of work through it, right? You kind of push through it. it. Your hamstring's bothering you a little bit. You know, you put, you, you know, you heat it up. You know, you, you put some ice on it afterwards. You take some ibuprofen, right? There's that line, but you, you keep playing. And if you're not mentally feeling great and you've kind of had a bad day, where's that line? You, you push yourself through. You get out of bed. You get to practice. You push yourself through. However, if the knee fails, right, if it finally the knee fails or the hamstring is really pulled, what do you do? You go get treatment, right, right away, right, because it's, it's affecting your capability to, to participate. And, it's, and as you well know, when you have something like that, you know, if, if you can't walk properly and you're limping around, it, it, it has ramifications beyond your athleticism. Don't you think this is the same thing with the mental thing? I mean, where you, you that line between, you know, push myself through it with mental strength, uh, even though I don't feel like doing something today or, you know, for the last three days, and to the point of I need care. I need to go get care right away. What, what are your thoughts on that? Do you see a parallel between the two? Certainly. I think that there's it's delicate with your mental health because I think not, not a lot of people are at the emotional intelligence level for themselves to understand when something gets to a point where they're like, oh, I need care. Like I have people come to me, which I have no credentials in mental health beyond my own experience and will say, this is what I'm experiencing. And I'm like, you are dealing with something far more serious than you even realize. That's when you need to ask for the help of a professional. And I think it is true that discipline is something that is some, you need to have discipline. And I think that's sometimes when I speak to groups of athletes or I speak to people in the professional sports world, it's a difficult line to toe when I'm saying like, yes, we should be a little bit more gentle with people, but also, yes, there are things you learn in sport that is integral to who you want to be if you want to be someone who is upstanding as you're growing up and as you're going into other industries or other you know fields. So I think that with your mental health 
you can actually use a lot of the things that you learn in sport to deal with your mental health. For example, like discipline can look like keeping promises to yourself so that it creates confidence. The more confidence you have, the better you'll perform on the field. The more confidence you have, the more easily you'll be able to share your feelings with people. You'll be able to feel secure in telling people what you're struggling with if you are having a bad day. And also one of my coaches actually just sent this video in our group chat of the Duke women's basketball coach talking about how she's talking about life and sport. And of course those two things can be connected of it never gets easier. You just get better at dealing with the hard and that resonated with me. And while you and I were talking about this earlier, when we were chatting about our mental health and I was diagnosed with OCD last August. So basically a year ago and anyone who struggled with OCD or has like repetitive thought loops or any mental illness, frankly, understands really that not every day is going to be perfect in your mind. Not every day is going to be easy. And there may be some days where you get less sleep or there's an event that happens that triggers your nervous system response. And suddenly you're having this like totally catastrophic reaction to something that maybe is not as big of a deal, but because you have anxiety or because you have OCD or depression, it seems worse than it is and it exacerbates it. And I feel like I have learned how to, like those thoughts haven't become any different than maybe they were a year ago. They're far more infrequent, um, but I've become so much better at dealing with them. And I now understand how to react to them in order to neutralize those thoughts or how to respond to them to be like, okay, well, that's a non-issue to me. And I think you learn a lot of that in sport of dealing with the hard and yes, somebody could put you on the line and tell you to run six 300s. Will it be easy? No. But the more you talk to yourself and say, you've got this and you're going to be okay and your body can handle this, the more you say to yourself and your mental health, you can handle this. But maintaining an acute awareness of the fact when it's you're there on that line and you're like, I can't handle this alone. Maybe you're on your fifth 300 and your ankle is sprained. That's not time to run another one. That's time to say, hey, trainer, I need some help. Can you tape me up? Can you come look at this? I need an ice pack. And same thing with your mental health. If you're on again, like that proverbial line and you're like, I need help. It is the greatest thing you can do for yourself. Athletes are obsessed with self-optimization as am I. And that's why I'm so committed to my mental health is because I want to be the best version of myself that I can be. And if asking someone for help is going to get me there, then you better believe I'm going to ask the right people for help and ask them to help me develop myself in that sense and not be ashamed of the fact that I needed to ask. Well, that, that, that was really, really well said. And you, you did intersect uh, what I was referring to. And that is when uh, you go to the trainer, when, you know, you, you did all those three hundreds and your, you know, your hamstrings bothering you, you seek help and you stop, right? And why wouldn't you do the same thing for your mental health? So um, I, I want to ask you this. Um, you know, you, you made the transition. You played at a very high level, um, you know, achievement-wise in high school. Um, with all, all these aspirations coming into Vanderbilt uh, to come to the next level, N knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to people in your same position coming out of high school and going to the next level to play a college sport? I would say 
honestly, to set your intentions. And I'm huge on intentionality. It has changed my life. I set intentions every day and it makes every day feel like there's something to achieve. And when my head hits a pillow every night, I feel like a deep sense of purpose. And I think had I gone into college with intentions, I would have gotten a lot more out of my freshman year with intention. I of course got a great deal out of my freshman year because I was basically trial and error. But I think if I were going to college, I would want to have a clear sense of like what I want to get out of my freshman year, what I want to get out of my first semester. Do I want to make friends that are outside of my sport? Do I want to succeed in my classes? Is my main focus thriving in, you know, the weight room or in conditioning? Do I want to be open with my coaches and and setting those intentions of like, what do you want to create? Because maintaining an awareness of why you're there. Like, I think for my freshman year, I was like, why am I here? I felt like I was lacking intention. And anytime that I feel like I'm lacking intention, it's like, I'm not even there at all in any situation, not just with lacrosse. So I honestly would say to set your intentions and they can be as specific as you want, or they can be as vague as you want, like be present, work hard. And I do, I recommend specificity in that sense, because it helps you come up with ways to actually achieve those intentions. And also I would say, set a precedent of talking to people, set a precedent of being the person on your team who is shamelessly vulnerable. I think it's so funny when people are like, oh, you're so brave for you know sharing your story. I'm like, it is truly like my second nature to share this. And I love talking about it. If anyone is struggling knowing that I can share my story pretty effortlessly and that they can maybe find resonance is really special to me. And if you go into college and you're like, I want to be that person, I want to be the person who my coaches know they can come to for an honest take on like, how are you feeling? Set that precedent. You can go into your coach's office the first week you're at school and say, hey, I just want to be really intentional about creating an open relationship with you guys. And I want to be able to talk about how I'm doing with you guys because I know that freshman year notoriously, not only freshman year, of course, other years in college, being a college athlete is a difficult thing to do, but being able to say like, I want to be able to come to you guys. So let's be intentional about maybe setting a meeting every month just to check in. Um, Cause you can create those things. And I think people come from a background of being a little bit timid around coaches and yes, you can respect your coaches and still be really open with them at the same time. And so that was, that's probably the greatest advice that I could give to anyone going into college, whether they're D1, D2, D3, whatever sport they're playing. Well, you're a wise soul because actually you echoed, uh, you know, with some different terminology, but you echoed some of the statements that uh, Coach Saban uh, had to say when he did the podcast, which is since you, you know, kind of have your game plans, have milestone game plans, um, you know, in front of you. Um, Well, um, you've done so much to reduce the stigma um, already at this ripe old age of going into your, your senior year. Um, uh, you know, moving the needle, we're obviously having this conversation uh, because, you know, you already have been moving the needle and, you know, we're, we're in the throes of, of trying to move the needle. Um, you know, what happens, you know, what do you think we need to do to, to continue to moving that needle? for college, college athletes? Because as you know, it really starts at the high school level. I mean, or even beyond that, right? Not younger, right. You know, and, you know, everybody moves up. You know, you look at the, the pandemic that you referred to with the, you were discussing earlier. I mean, you, you came in 
at absolutely unprecedented times. I have a daughter that was in her last year uh, uh, playing D3 lacrosse with Franklin Marshall, her going into her senior year, same, same year you came in, you know, March 2020, and their season got completely wiped out, right? But the kids that were in junior high, high school uh, are right now coming in to their freshman year. Or they're probably coming into their sophomore year. And they were under the pandemic and the isolation and all the uncertainties that happened in their high school. Well, now they're in college, right? And now they're college athletes. Mm-hmm. What do you think we need to do to uh, to help them and to help uh, the future of you know the generations that are playing college sports? I think, I mean, it's an amazing question. And there are so many things that need to be done, I think, incrementally. But the first thing I think that needs to change or be kind of invoked, I guess, is not just having a conversation about the mental health conversation. And that's kind of been my thesis of a lot of the work I've done over the past few months with different organizations and groups of saying like, I'm so flattered that we have conversations like this and I love to do it. And I think it's so important that people who have never heard a conversation like this have open ears while this conversation is happening. But then there's people who are educated in this space and who have like you, the metrics to look at these things and be like, this is what we're looking at. But I don't think it's enough to just talk about it and acknowledge it. And people will constantly ask me, you know, what sparked you to write this letter? And it's like, as much as I am so flattered that people, the letter resonated with people, like that was merely a spark that was supposed to light this fire. And I'm just as at fault as anyone else, because I have not created as much tangible change beyond I think a lot more coaches are open to having conversations with their players which is huge and I don't want to discredit any of the work that I've done but I do like crave truly is the best word I can use progress and I crave policy and that's I spoke to you on the phone earlier about this and I'm working on um, an act with Colton Underwood that's hopefully going to be passed in Congress, it's the Teams Act, so targeting emotional and mental stability. And that would basically codify the protection of student athlete mental health. And that's, of course, only targets really college athletes. And I, I want to go down to the bottom. Like, I want to be fixing the cultural issues, the structural issues in peewee football, like places that I have really never experienced myself. I think there's so much nuance to the different experience of different sports and different genders and different people, people of different backgrounds, demographics being raised in sports. It's, it's, there's so much nuance. There's so much room for connection. There's so much room for progress. And so I think the number one thing I would like to see is some policy that indicates to high school level coaches, middle school coaches, all college coaches that like this is not only a priority of the athletes who maybe some people think we're like whining. It really is a priority of the country and the country's well-being. And this is a public health crisis. So that was kind of a loop-de-loop answer of really saying that I would love to see policy passed. I would love to see this policy passed in particular. And it's hard to come up with tangible change because you approach the entire world of college athletics and you're like, what can I possibly change here? How do I get into every administration and hold their hand until they have exactly the resources that I want? I also think, and I have been talking about this at length with people that the most tangible change colleges could make if there's any college coaches listening is just having more providers 
specifically for each team. I think a huge issue is the fact that, for example, Vanderbilt has like two or three therapists that athletes are typically directed to. And I'm not even sure how many athletes we have, but you have hundreds of athletes who are being directed towards the same three therapists and finding a therapist is truly like you're like dating these people until you figure out what works for you. And I think the issue with having so few therapists on staff is that sometimes they're sports psychologists and that's not what you need. Sometimes they can't speak to the background that a lot of other athletes have had. So for example, me going to see a therapist who looks like me, sounds like me, maybe is from the same area as me, is going to be different than maybe a black football player going into the same office that therapist there probably wouldn't be as much resonance. And that's why there needs to be a variety and a, diver a diversity of providers on college athletic administration campuses to be able to provide for people and make them feel known and seen and so athletes can establish authentic relationships with the people who are there to guide them and help them through what can be a really stressful process. Athletes seriously are one of the most vulnerable populations on college campuses to depression and suicide. And so having people there that are specifically ready to create for, a relationship with the athletes, yeah. right, for athletes, I think is so important. Well, I mean, so you have the, the big macro uh, esoteric uh, description of, you know, uh, solving uh, these problems at a very large level. And but you, know, you and I talked about this a little bit on the phone that, you know, go down to the micro and start with um, what is needed now. Right. What is needed now. And you, you, you said it is they need programs. I mean, they need dedicated programs. They need to put resources and programs together where you do have people that understand the athlete and they understand that their stresses and strains are different than the non-athlete, right? So there's somebody that's been in that world and understands that world and, and, and a program to manage that, right? I mean, I mean, you know, the, the smart coaches like your coach and some other coaches that I, I mentioned one earlier with coach Saban, but, the smart coaches, not not only are they trying to take care of the human being, but let's be honest, they're trying to win games, right? They're trying to have success. And if, if you don't figure out, you know, the, the intersection between mental and behavioral health and athletic performance, you know, kind of shame on you, right? I mean, they, they go hand in hand. So, you know, let's start with what's manageable, and that is, you know, if, if, if you want to have healthy people on the field in competition, take care of their mental health to the same degree you take care of their physical health, right? Mm -hmm. um, anyway, um, I, this has been wonderful. You, you have, um, in, your, in your younger years, you're well ahead of yourself. I would say that to you, Kaylin. You, your, your knowledge and your experience is um, it's, it, very, very impressive to me, and I'm sure, sure to our audience. Um, and, you're, you. and you're a great inspiration. So I do ask this um, at the end of uh, interviews. Um, you've had some really, sounds like you've had some great people in your life. Can you, can you speak to one person in particular that's been most inspirational? Oh, I love that question. And I love that you ask it to everyone. I think the person in my life that has been the most inspirational to me has been my mom. And I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that their mom is their inspiration. Uh, my mom 
struggled with chronic illness as I was growing up and also worked a full-time corporate job. And she ran triathlons when I was little and was always just the most incredible mom. And I've, I've watched her grow with me, honestly. We've been on like similar paths with learning about ourselves and um, exploring spirituality and things like that. And so she's like my best friend in the world. And to be able to have gone through the past two years of immense growth alongside her has been the greatest privilege. I can't even imagine. I couldn't three years ago have imagined experiencing such a beautiful thing with my mom for both of us. Um, and she just like has always been the first person after lacrosse game. She could not care less about how I played. She is just the first person to be so excited to hang out with me. And it's so refreshing to be able to have someone who cares about lacrosse when I care about it, um, but is also so ready to compartmentalize that aspect of my life. And she's put so much into not only me as a lacrosse player, which it's an expensive sport, as you probably know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, she just has done she means the world to me and I know she'll listen to this. And I just, my parents have changed my life on so many fronts, but especially just the way that they have taught me to navigate the world and the way that they've celebrated my advocacy, the way they've celebrated my vulnerability and reflected it is just outstanding. And I feel like the luckiest kid to have that relationship you're, with. You're extremely parents. fortunate. What's your mom's name? Um, Megan. Well done. Well done. You, you, you obviously you've raised a beautiful human being. Um, <clears throat> look, I I want to say I'm um, delighted that you came on, and I thank you again for coming on and and what you're doing right here and what you're doing with your own program and your speaking engagements. Um, uh, you are inspiring a lot of people, and you're you're helping people. You know, um, you might never know it, right? Uh, but that's okay. I mean, you don't always have to know, but, um, I hope you keep, keep up, you know, this journey and I hope you, um, continue to thrive, uh, as you go through, you know, life. Right. And, and, you know, the, the, you know, look, some things happen for a reason. And the fact that you kind of went through what you went through your freshman year is a game changer, right? It's a life changer, right? You all of a sudden you got incredibly educated and, once you got incredibly educated in your self-awareness, everything I just heard is, you know, you're, you're better off for it, right? You know, you're, you're, you're better off for it. It's um, unfortunately, sometimes we have to go through um, our challenges and our dark days, you know, to get to a better place. So thank you again. Um, I've now got to say thank you to all of our followers. Um, stay tuned for more episodes to come soon. Um, I'm Walt Norley. Take care, everyone. This is Athletes on Balance. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Athletes on Balance. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please follow us on your preferred podcast app to catch our next episode. Join our community by sharing with an athlete, mental health care provider, or coach in your circle. 